Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Austin, just come back from a powerful week last week in uh, Indiana. I loved it, man. I love Indiana. Been there multiple times. The airport sucks, but you know what? I, I love the town. Well, Fishers was absolutely beautiful town. Never been there. First time for me. I wouldn't mind living there, honestly. But then you get, just like the rest of the country, you look at these the housing prices and you're like, no, oh, that doesn't make too much sense. Well, I uh, I don't know about living there. I kind of like Oklahoma. I'm I'm digging Oklahoma until it starts getting windy. But uh, in the meantime, we did have a great training. And uh, as always, the uh, man of the hour, uh, we love to have uh, come on and talk with Ben Pearson, our clinical director of Chateau. And uh, we got to go out to Fishers, Indiana and hold a couple trainings and unroll the Chateau experience for some folks out there. Uh, Ben Pearson, welcome to the podcast. Episode number three, Ben. Thanks for having me. So let- know, this is the third time Ben's episodes, for those who don't know, are some of the highest listened episodes that we have. So obviously whatever is coming out of Ben's mouth and you're beautifully bald. That must be the only explanation that makes sense. I don't know. He is a handsome devil. I was just fixing to go down that road. Thanks for chipping in. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it, the cool thing about our training last week and, and something we're going to talk a lot about today is a little bit of the Arbinger Institute uh, mindset. Uh, uh, you know, we've at Chateau utilized mindset for years, I, I believe, uh, and incorporated into the program and, you know, the ideas behind it. But what I found extremely interesting was, you know, in our training last week, you know, the, the mindset portion um, of Arbinger is also, you know, part of the training. It, it works out very well for the first responder community with the interactions with the public and everything along those lines that you have to incorporate, you know, some mindset stuff into it. Well, just I got to sit in the back and I got to look at body language and I got to look at, you know, when people would go on their phones or check out for a minute or whatever it may be. And when this particular topic got brought up, it was very interesting for me to see the engagement from the audience and what they thought of this concept that, you know, there are, there have been departments that, you know, we know of across the country that have implemented this, but I I don't think it's a national uh, thing. And so it, it was very interesting to see, you know, the public safety group of people that we were with in Indiana look at this mindset and say, well, I think that actually applies to me. And Brad, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong there. You were up there presenting. No, you, you are, you are very correct. Very few times, uh, was the audience disengaged. As a matter of fact, I think a good, uh, oftentimes a good, uh, thermostat for that is, uh, how I don't want to say exhausted, but they're, they've been mentally stretched by the end of the day. And th- and those folks in that class were mentally stretched. Uh, I feel like, and, and that means they were number two things. Number one, the content was good. And number two, uh, they were entertained. Uh, they were, they were finding some usefulness. So, you know, with that being said, um, Ben, let's, let's just dive in a little bit. What, uh, give us a, give us a little idea of what, uh, what goes on in that training that we were kind of unpacking or really generically when Austin's sitting here talking about unpacking mindset at Chateau, what is, What's been Pearson's 
take on the entirety of the mindset model. Sure. Well, I think what's interesting about most of our models that we train on is that mindset, our relationship with stress, how we navigate uh, relationships, we're doing all of these things anyway. The, the mindset conversation is we, we, all, we all have a number of beliefs that are happening behind the scenes that kind of pull the strings in our behavior. And so the mindset conversation is, are we waking up and becoming intentional and effective with our mindset? Are we, are we happy with where our mindset is taking us? And so what I, what I like about the discussion is that people have a lot of beliefs. They, they don't have a ton of training or a lot of awareness of how to kind of curb their, they can actually life where their beliefs and their actions are aligned. I like the the Arbinger philosophy. I like that its overall goal is to help us kind of get where we want to go. So when we we have conversations about mindset, you know, the Arbinger model for those who are a little new to it basically says that it kind of boils down to this fundamental, sometimes unconscious decision of of seeing people as objects or seeing them as people. And I, I think that's a, a simple model that's been really helpful for me to incorporate in my life. Because basically, there are moments when we are pretty effective, pretty engaged, and probably the most proud of ourselves. And usually, that is when we are adopting or seeing people through a mindset that is charitable, that has empathy, that has compassion, that has support. And when we see people suffering, we, uh, especially this is true in the service industry, when we see people that struggle, if we have a mindset, that is a bit more open and connected and aware of what's happening for other people, usually it brings up some pretty important values for us. And then we actually decide to jump into action. And when we are thinking about other people and seeing that they're human just like us and deserve the kind of respect and dignity that we all enjoy, when we see them from that perspective, providing service, uh, even sacrificing our time and energy, those things make sense. In fact, after a long day of service and something that we believe is fundamentally good for us and good for them, we leave feeling pretty satisfied and pretty excited about what we've accomplished. When we provide that same kind of service and engagement and time and energy into something that we do not believe in and that we do not connect with, we usually get pretty burned out and pretty irritated and pretty resentful of that kind of an activity. So the funny thing is that people are constantly being influenced by their mindset, but oftentimes they don't have the, the awareness to recognize of where that, where that belief system is coming from and what it's trying to achieve. So if you, so if we back up there a little bit and you're, you're, well, I have several questions in, in the context, but just to be clear, when you frame out people, have a mindset of using others as objects. What what does that look like? What is what does that maybe exemplify itself as on a daily basis for for people when you say that? Sure. I I think most of us probably didn't have a language for it, but most of us know what it feels like to be seen or used as an object. Most of us again, we don't we don't use this kind of language every day, but I think there's moments when we're at a grocery store or in traffic and we feel pretty invisible. People make decisions and they have no awareness of us or care what their impact is on us. 
But I think those kind of moments, we're just, we're just not, we're not people. We don't have hopes and dreams. We're just in the way. And so we kind of feel that and notice it. And for the most part, we can discard it. And sometimes we don't take it personally. And other times we do. Other times where we might notice that we have become an object is when people are trying to extract something from us, whether that's money, whether it's validation, whether that's time, whether that's labor. There are some relationships where someone is clearly not taking the time to build rapport and to connect and validate us, but they just want something. And really, our experience with them is that they are very self-absorbed, uh, preoccupied, and really focused on just getting what they want first. And then they need us to help satisfy that particular expectation. And the other time that that happens where we we might notice it when people are critical of us. They might blame us. They might have some kind of accusation or assumption about who we are. But there are lots of times where people become offended or get really irritated when we behave a certain way and they take our behaviors personally. So I think we've all had the experience of being an object to somebody else. And those moments, we're usually left with feeling pretty, you know, unseen, unheard. Uh, sometimes we feel pretty powerless. Sometimes we feel like we've been taken advantage of or abused in some form. So there's a understanding of I am an object to them right now because they don't care about my experience. They don't care about my thoughts, my feelings, any of those kinds of things. And in those moments, I think we leave pretty discouraged and, and pretty, we feel pretty negative about it. So when those, those things happen, I think we notice. What we notice even less are the moments when we behave in a way and other people become our objects. And again, there are sometimes, you know, I, I joke that this is often an experience that happens when relationships are pretty new. When we meet someone new, when we're curious about them and we see them, we're pretty curious. We're pretty engaged and we're pretty mindful about their thoughts and feelings. And we are very intuitive. Uh, we are very empathic and we're pretty engaged. And we are, you know, we want to be part of their world and we want to have some influence. But there are times in some relationships where after time, we become a little desensitized, a little indifferent, and then we start to expect things from them and we take them for granted or we often feel misunderstood and we just kind of do what we want to do. So in those moments, we don't realize it, but others become our objects. And so what once was a very curious, nurturing, connected sort of relationship, there are times in relationships where people drift into seeing someone else like an object. And when we're in that particular spot, we don't think that their hopes and dreams are that interesting. We actually might ignore them. We might actually deny they exist anymore. So it's a really fascinating conversation where most of us really, again, do a good job in relationships we care about. We are engaged, we're connected, uh, we are invested in working with them. You know, if we're parenting, we want our kids to be successful. We see their needs, we see their fears, we see all of that stuff, and it moves us and it helps us. And there are some relationships where we see someone we actually could care less and we do not connect with them. And then we start to justify ways in which we don't really have to bother with them and their our impact on them so i think this is this is something that came up for me during that is i want to humanize this mindset for a second because i don't think any of us or let me rephrase it, a lot of us want to be stuck in this mindset but it happens because we're human right and 
these these type of things where you view someone as an object or someone views you as an object it's not necessarily all a personalization against you or them right and i mean talk about talk a little bit about that is that we need to get away from shaming ourselves on this mindset and understand that what it actually is is that we need to recognize it and do something about it right i i think one of my favorite parts about the mindset conversation is it in many ways, it doesn't matter why we arrived at this mindset. But once we're there and realize it, there's a few things we can do about it that can immediately improve our relationships. But when we did talk about how people find themselves in this situation, you know, last week in our training, we were talking about, um, you know, our relationship with stress. We were talking to the group about trauma and about the window of tolerance and, and what happens to us when we are sent by some kind of an event or some kind of exposure to stress, we are sent into some form of dysregulation. And when we're dysregulated, we are in survival mode. And the interesting thing is that when we're in survival mode, really we are in a lower part of our brain that is preoccupied just with the next few moments and just making it through and surviving this next little chunk of our day. And when we're in that spot, that looks a lot like and functions a lot like an inward mindset, which means we don't really see our impact. We don't really notice much else besides that. So people who are in survival mode for a long time, uh, their family and friends might actually reference them as kind of this selfish prick or an asshole or this self-centered narcissistic. These are all terms that happen quite a bit when someone is in survival mode. But also, if you stay there for a while, you start to adopt the philosophy that other people, they just don't have the same kind of problems that I have. And we see ourselves as a little different, a little disconnected from them. So in those moments, yeah, we tend to humanize very much our experience. We tend to think that it's problems are only happening to us. But on the other side of us, people feel like, yeah, they're not worth as much. They're not worth our time and our energy that they do know feels. To, to be on the outside. Does that answer your question enough? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I think this is, we're already 15 minutes in and uh, a lot of information about outward mindset. I think that unfortunately, a lot of people naturally get there through their career. For one, you know, if you, the first responder community, I think there's two ways you're getting treated like an object from your command staff or the city or, or whatever it may be. And then you're viewing people that you go on calls on after years and years of doing that, I mean, your patience starts to wear a little bit thin with people, right? I think we understand that. Let's let's jump a little bit over to what the opposite of outward is, so people know that there actually is a solution. You spoke on it briefly, but uh, give us give us a little bit of, right. a better idea of it. Well, the last piece I would add to what you had mentioned is that in law enforcement and first responders in general, a critical part of their training like really effective responders, they actually have to be a bit more compartmentalized. They actually have to uh, see people as objects because they are, they are patients in, in many cases. And for us to really dive in and to save lives and to do some of the, some of the interventions that are going to really save them, you're going to have to put their thoughts and their feelings, their hopes and the dreams off to the side for a little bit. So I, I do want to be clear that there are moments where this happens. And I don't think we need to have shame about temporarily staying in a place where we have to see someone as an object. It makes many of our jobs better and we can actually become a lot more efficient. But the challenge of it is when we stay in that spot for a while, 
then it actually has to have it, it has a pretty negative impact on our relationships. So when when people become aware of it, that is when they actually start to find a way out of it. I think that there is um, again uh, one of my favorite pieces about mindfulness is probably not the the breath work and the the exercises that go along with mindfulness. It is just the empowerment that happens. If once I notice that I'm doing whatever it is I'm doing again, I then in that moment get to have a choice. And in that choice, I get to be empowered and I get to be the person that directs the, the future of the next few moments of my life. So as we talk about getting out of an inward mindset, we need to wake up on some level. And I think there are moments where uh, we wake up and in that, in that moment of awareness, we recognize, wow, I do not like how this feels on the other side of it. I don't like how it feels being the person that has ignored the thoughts and feelings and hopes and dreams of those in my relationships. And then from there, you know, we can actually build some momentum. But in that word mindset is, is really about seeing that other people are in the same boat as us, that they are also broken, imperfect fragile people that just have as many insecurities as we do. But in an outward mindset, it means that we're all kind of in the same ship, heading the same direction. And all of us are, are again, struggling to some degree. But overall, we're good people trying to do some good in the world and trying to make a difference. An outward mindset, as, as you mentioned before, is this process of how do we humanize other people? And I, I think that we get conditioned when we're in the inward mindset. Most of us, all of us, I would argue, have kind of our favorite justifications when we have a lot of mental defenses built up. And one of those defenses is, is justifying. When we justify our decision to be selfish or to ignore someone or to treat someone like an object, when we defend that and have this belief that I had to do that, I didn't have the option of being compassionate or supportive or validating, or any of those things that are fuel for healthy relationships. There's there's moments where we just, in our own awareness, we don't we don't want to see ourselves as bad people, and I don't think that we are. But there are moments where we wake up to the fact that we made a choice. We're not very proud of it, and we can either own it and take some responsibility, or we can justify it and make it someone else's responsibility. So when we've decided that we want to be more outward and more engaged. The reality is that we need to grow up in some sense and to start to be more accountable decisions and some of our attitudes. And that is painful. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good and I've got my favorite excuses and I've got lots of people in my lives that have noticed moments where I have not been the, the kind of dad or the kind of husband or the kind of employee or the kind of therapist that I needed to be. I'm aware of that. And there's moments where I can own it and say, you know what, that, that does suck sometimes to be on the other side of me. But I think once we wake up to that and own it, we get to make some very different decisions. You said something earlier that really resonates, uh, which I'm going to I'm going to tie some of this a little bit this together, which is the dysregulation that you referenced into the window of tolerance, being dysregulated, but oftentimes within this first responder community, it works to the advantage of that first responder to be disconnected. You know, you made reference to. Uh, dealing with people like their objects or clients or, you know, just these, you know, stick figures, if you will, that we're having to deal with. 
in the capacity of doing our duties, you know, you don't you don't want or need a first responder breaking down in tears because they're so heartbroken over a tragedy that's unfolding right in front of them. However, in the meantime, what that looks like is very cold, heartless, disconnected. But yet, if we spend too much time there, we end up dysregulated. Is that fair? Am I am I hitting close sure. here within the window of tolerance? So what would be the method to be able to balance that, you know, that disconnect of living in that hyper arousal state, but yet still coming back to being a real person at home? Because often, you know, that's that's the real issue is you bring you bring that guy home. That that person is the person that ends up being the same hyper arousal or disconnected, disassociated person at home. And I feel like this is this is a great topic for folks out there that are like, I I hear what he's saying. I understand it. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to connect the dots here. Or maybe disconnect is a better better term. No, that's a great question. I it's it's a tough one because everyone's a little bit different. But I, I do think going off of what you said, I think we unconsciously kind of uh, evolve in, again, we're all in survival mode to some extent. And I think the last two or three years, culturally, we've learned a lot more of what's it like to be in our heads and what happens if we stay in our heads a lot more and what happens if we don't take care of ourselves or don't take care of our relationships. So I think there is this national experience where people are now recognizing, wow, this is what it's like <laughs> to be around me. And uh, I think that's good news and bad news. But I, I, I think, yeah, I think we walk around with probably a little bit more, well, we lack trust. We've got more resentment. We've got a lot more irritation. People are coming a lot more offended. And we think it's because it's one thing in our life that's bothering us. But I think what has happened is that when that stuff starts to infect our mindset, it does spill over into all sorts of relationships. I think almost everyone can relate to the experience of having a moment where they felt like they were treated like garbage or objectified at work and they hated the experience, but they stayed in that experience and didn't have the tools to kind of shake it. And then next thing you know, they're at home spreading some of that negativity and some of that irritation, that criticism over people that have nothing to do with that situation. So the the, the challenge is that it, it bleeds into our lives whenever we don't pay attention. So as we talk about finding that balance, part of what we talk about with our responders is that um, we need to basically help them find a routine to kind of check in and be aware of, of where they're at. There's a number of different activities that can help people kind of slow and do a little bit of an inventory, whether it's kind of looking in a, a metaphorical mirror of sorts and recognizing of like, am I... What kind of mindset am I in right now? Am I irritated? Am I different? walking into this next situation at home or at work with a lot of excuses or a lot of reasons why I don't want to connect with people? There are some questions that we can start to ask that are somewhat connected to our values, but just in general, raise our awareness and raise our accountability. And I think those, those, those processes can be pretty powerful. Um, other ways that people kind of get themselves unstuck to be honest, is, is usually kind of letting down their guard a little bit and being curious about the experience of other people around them. 
I think if I if I assume as I walk home, if I walk in from work and I assume that my day is just harder than anyone else's day, that I'm tired and frustrated and irritated, and I assume that everything in my little bubble is the only truth, those are those are probably moments where I am really missing some opportunities to see what else is going on. Well, if I could jump in and and actually maybe just pose a pose a viewpoint really so many times you know we encourage younger first responders to say hey don't don't disconnect from society completely or you'll start seeing them all as the clients bad guys or victims or and and the reality is even hearing that and absorbing it it still has a trend towards that towards just Okay, they're everybody's out to get me. Everybody's out to harm me. Everybody's wow. a victim. Everybody wants something from me, and that permeates its way into what we take home. Now you walk in the door, and your kids want something from you, and your spouse wants something from you, and you stay in this state of, you know, outside your window of tolerance of either hyper or hypo arousal, and just say, I don't. I don't want to deal with any of you. So, so with that being said, what are some things that, that uh, Ben Pearson would say here, here are the tricks, if you will, here's some tools, here's some, here's some things that would be helpful to that. And, and one of them I, I absolutely love hearing you talk about, which is just recognition of, Hey, I'm in it. So, so once you recognize that that's powerful, but what do I do next? What, what do our, what do our listeners do next? Well, I think again, there's some there's some cool ways to recognize you're in it. Our bodies usually know before our minds do. So there's there's something about if you can slow down for a minute and just kind of take a breath and recognize that you got a lot of tension. Usually our bodies, you know, whether it's clenched jaws, holding our breath, there's a number of different kind of aches and pains that go along with our bodies that tell us that we are in a defensive stance that we still believe that the next person is going to use us, take advantage of us, take us for granted, any of those kind of things that feel like a violation, I think our bodies are a great indicator of, of how we're doing. Uh, assuming that we're, we're semi-aware that we're in a bit of a funk or that we're in this defensive, protective sort of stance, I think it's hard to do in, in some ways, but I think there's a mantra in there somewhere about how do we just recognize that very little of this is personal. I know that's a, a, an idea from another book called The Four Agreements, but I think that's the challenge is that when we think that, that it's only happening to us, then we start to isolate ourselves. I think one of the best tricks for getting out of a mindset is just looking around our environment and just seeing if we can identify what is on the plate of someone else who's, who's with us. Whether that's a homeless person, a total stranger, or whether it's a spouse, or whether it's our kid, when's the last time I've took a moment, took a breath, and thought, what's it like to be them, or what is it that they are trying to accomplish today? And if it's something pretty simple, uh, you know, can I help right now? Can I do something to encourage, to support, to connect with them? And those little moments are at least a little break from some of the heaviness, from some of that negativity, and some of that defensive burden that we kind of share. But I think realizing that we are not that different. 
I think the challenge at times in first responder cultures is that they only hang out with each other. And what that ends up doing un unintentionally is it ends up creating this assumption that we are all in teams against each other. And that is very divisive and it's very destructive for our mental health. When someone has not, when, when whoever it is, politically or religiously or whatever it might be, is so different than me, I, I cannot connect with them and we don't share any you know, goals or dreams or appreciate any of the, you know, smaller things in life. I think those things end up keeping us pretty sick. So I think it's pretty powerful. We can actually stop and just look around in our literal environment or in our mental environment to see what's going on. I was actually just going to make a reference to uh, experience in this recently on a, on a funny story on myself. So I was flying and the stewardess I was I was sitting right behind first class, so the stewardess from the first class had a tray of water cups, and this gentleman stood up real quick, knocked the entire tray of water cups onto my lap. The entire thing went all over me, and in that moment, there wasn't anything I could do about becoming not wet. I was soaked, and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna practice this here just in this moment. I wonder what it's like to be her knowing that one of her, one of the people on her plane, she just completely covered in water and I just provided a lot of grace. And by the end, anyway, when I got off the plane, um, she came by and she said, I really appreciate you taking that well. And I said, well, I just for a moment considered how hard it must be to be you in dealing with the plane and these this plane load of people and understanding that and it was an incredible experience and just in that moment to to actually think okay to follow that up she actually made reference to some guy had cussed her out uh by just having a little drop of water on his pant so in that moment of her saying and and she was very emotional in this conversation in that moment uh, she was very emotional about just saying, I really am grateful that you took that so well. Those weren't the words she said, but that was in essence, the messaging of, and I, and it really was a full on practice of, you know what, I'm going to take this opportunity just to see her for who she is, what she's trying to accomplish and the mission that's in front of her and apply grace to it. And I very easily could have gotten frustrated or disgusted. I wasn't any of those things. I'm like, this just happened. I can't undo this. So it is what it is. And and what an incredible what an incredible experience to to just practice that through her eyes and lens, uh, looking forward from that. So, you know, Austin, I think one of the great things about just continually and repetitively hearing the outward mindset concept is is what peace it brings to actually experience and live it on a daily basis of just I mean, we know that it does a lot of things physically to us. I mean, it prevents depression. It it, it prevents uh, cardiovascular. The, all these things are preventative to bad health. But just generically being at peace with yourself over, yeah, I wasn't a dick in that moment. Um, it's 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 a nice way to live. Well, I think that there's something that has happened recently, which is yeah, you have to be a dick to get what you want in life. Right, you got to stand up for yourself. You got to be an asshole. You've to be heard. Demand, you know, things from yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, 
yeah, to be heard or to get what you need, right? Or whatever. And there was a point when I think I believed that too. And this was a few years back, which was like, stand up for yourself, tell people how it is and fuck them if they don't like it, right? This particular mindset outlook has, has changed that because I've gotten so much further in life by taking a step back, understanding where people are coming from, speak to them like they are humans, and move forward together, right? I think that is that is what I want to leave this podcast today with that message, which is just take a step back, look at how you view this person, and you know, move forward from there. So Brad, Ben, thank you. We lost Ben, but I always love having him uh, come on and, and share his words of wisdom. Absolutely. And, and I echo that. I could not agree more. This is a great place to leave it. And, and, uh, especially for the, all those listeners and, but the, you know, the, including the first responder community, this is, this is such a great concept. Uh, please explore it, dive into it a little bit, get some, get some, uh, information regarding this. It's absolutely amazing concept. Uh, look up, uh, the Arbinger Institute or, uh, if, if, necessary reach out to us uh austin and i here on the no one fights alone podcast website uh we can offer you up some uh, information some books to read even some go-to applications for you thank you for listening to this segment of no one fights alone no one fights alone is sponsored by Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by First Responder Trauma Counselors. First Responder Trauma Counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour all-badges, all-uniforms, and all-scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent, licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-222-419-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.